I'm Chance. And I'm Sarah Catherine. And this is Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. We are a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit. It's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that. Introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and wildlife management, and we ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with EarthX here in Dallas, Texas. EarthX is the largest Earth Day celebration in the world, and it brings in speakers from every corner of the environmental arena. Listen in to hear the stories of today's environmental titans, covering everything from environmental law, ocean health, renewable energy, clean transportation, and so much more. Let's get to the show. All right, today we're talking with Vanessa Casado Perez. She is an associate professor at Texas A&M School of Law and in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you here. Um, thank you for coming to us immediately after you got to the hotel. I know it's been a long drive to get here. Not that long. It's gonna. <laughs> it's fine. Well, we appreciate it one way or another. Just to start out, I'm kind of curious, how did you decide that this focus of law and the environment is something you wanted to get into? So honestly, it is a long path. And perhaps, like everyone, you are shaped by your experiences growing up. So I grew up in a farm, and I used to play near the river all my life. And then you will see how, you know, like people get worried when there is not enough water or when there is too much and so on. So then I decided to, you know, study a law degree thinking that I will be the next Ali McBeal. <laughs> and um, I did my economics degree and I thought that academia was my call so that I wanted to be an academic. And when I was thinking which topics I was passionate about and also my skill set was helpful, I thought that environmental law was my best fit. Awesome. Within environmental law, you focus specifically on property rights and resource management, right? Scarce resources? Yes. I always say that I like to research scarcity. Um, I normally research about water uh, property rights, but I have also researched about things as crazy as parking. Because if okay. you will not think about the similarities, but whenever you have any scarce resource and you have something that we consider public property like water or like our streets, but then you assign private property rights via parking spot or via a right to use a certain amount of water, the similarities start to arise and then there are interesting analogies that you can make. So it's basically how do we figure out who's got the rights to use something that everybody has a claim to, something that's public, and how do we divvy that up and allow everybody to use it? Is that right? Exactly. So how we are going to locate the limited water resources that we have. And with that, we have to define what are the goals that we want to achieve. Obviously, some people may feel that the only goal that we will have with a water management system would be to allocate water efficiently, to put it to the highest value use. But the piece missing here that normally also plays a role in many people's mind when they are thinking about water is how we also ensure that it's a fair allocation, that we also ensure that everyone has access to water. So this combination of fairness and efficiency is what I am interested in. 
And of course, there are different systems to allocate water, but basically in all of them, we have some sort of public property background. So the government being the steward of the trustee for the public and individuals having rights to use water for their domestic consumption, for their agricultural production, for their industrial production, and so How long have you been with Texas A&M? I moved to Texas A&M on August 2016, so almost three years. Okay. But I have been in the U.S. for the last 11. Okay. okay. And what made you want to come to Texas A&M specifically? So it was an exciting project. Texas A&M Law School is on the rise, and they had a specific focus on natural resource issues, as well as having a huge interest in doing interdisciplinary work with main campus. And that's two things that I was really looking forward, a research institution that would value natural resource work and also interdisciplinary um, collaborations. Can you talk me through a little bit about the way that legal research happens? Because I'm, I'm pretty familiar with like scientific research and, and the process for that. But when I think law, I think lawyers in courtrooms, and I know that that's such a tiny slice of what law is. So actually, it's a very tiny slice. That's what I always tell my students when sometimes they have this vocational crisis. There are very few lawyers that actually go to a courtroom. Most of them do a lot of counseling, and a lot of the law happens if you go in the shadow of judicial decisions. But apart from that, I am not even there, right? I don't even uh, work with clients. What I do is research. And research can take very different forms. Some of legal scholarship is very analytical, and let's look how the law looks like and what are the gaps. Um, some is more sort of, a, if you want, an impact analysis. Let's see how the situation on the ground has changed thanks to the introduction of these laws. Some other research may be more comparative. It's like this is how Texas approaches this problem, but clearly we are not seeing any change. And we look at other states to see what they are doing or even other countries. And research can be... So now there is a trend in legal scholarship, which I very much like, which is doing a lot of empirical studies, econometrics, like in several other social sciences. And I am not equipped to actually do it. I am a good consumer of it. But if I have a good co-author from another department, that's the type of studies that um, I would like to undertake in the near future, because then you can more or less assess where there are correlations between certain laws and certain outcomes. And you will find also legal scholarship that it's a little bit more doctrinal, which means it's going to look more at how different legal doctrines have evolved through time, maybe through judicial decisions or even um, whether there is a gap between the law and the books, what the code says, what the judge says, or um, what is really happening in practice. So you're really looking a lot at how are people living their lives? What is the actual outcome on the ground outside of, you know, what's written in the legal code or what the judges are saying? Seeing the correlations between the code itself, what's written as the law, and how that is affecting real people on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, and also there is an extra component there, which is we may have a law that it's not enforced in practice, right? So the gap may be that people are not understanding the law, that the law is too demanding and people are not complying with it and prefer to pay the fine, or the gap may be that we are simply not enforcing the regulations. Okay. 
And then do you have any research that you're working on currently? So I have this research project that I am kind of excited about because it's a slightly broader than my previous research. So my dissertation and some of my first articles look narrowly at water markets. And by that, I mean the exchange of property rights over water between two users. But now what we are seeing is like an expansion of water markets. So I am sure you have heard this sentence several times, water is going to be the new oil. And we normally think, well, water is becoming scarcer, it will be a source of conflict, we're going to have water wars. But actually, that water is going to be the new oil also means that water is going to be traded like a commodity. So what before was exchange between a farmer and a city or a farmer and another farmer is taking a whole new level, actually. So we see even investment funds just focusing on water. We see some, you know, in- investors trying to get into the utility, water utility business, which is a highly regulated one, but clearly it's a profitable one. Um, we see former old tycoons buying water rights because they think that it's where the next profitable business will be. And we see just an influx of money to water that we didn't see before. So we have a set of rules in order to prevent externalities when we are thinking of water markets in the narrow way. But we don't have proper rules to deal with the potential negative externalities that this expanded version of markets may entail. And what I am trying to do is whether this expanded version is sidestepping the regulations or profiting from gaps on those regulations and how we could patch them up in order to face this new influx of money, which some people see as the most positive thing that ever happened because there are those who defend that any natural resource is better allocated by the market than by a governmental agency with the corruption, potential interest group capture, and so on. But some other people are clearly against it because they feel that water, like any other natural resource, should not be commodified. This is just such a complex issue. There's so many people who have a stake. I mean, everybody has a stake in something like water rights because it's it's a necessity for life. But you're right. It really is being more and more treated like a commodity, you know, as the value of water goes up and it becomes more and more scarce, we're sort of seeing this infrastructure grow up around the water rights that is kind of uncharted territory for water, but something that we've seen in other markets like oil or other, you know, scarce resources. Uh, and it's it's very interesting to hear about something that is happening today, right now, you know, a, a massive development and transformation in the way that we're talking about selling and buying water. And one of the challenges that comes with it is that everyone is okay buying a three or four dollars Evian water bottle, but we feel differently about paying um, the water that comes out of our tap. And we should pay more than we are paying for water to the extent that we are able to afford it, because that will make us be a little bit more mindful about how long our showers are. But If we take out of the picture this 3% of water that we need for our basic needs, we have to decide how we want the the other 97% allocated. And I am not saying that markets cannot play a role, but what I am trying to say, and I think it's a discussion that we are having at several levels today, is that those water markets have to be properly regulated, right? And we should, a lot of people fear 
and we should prevent it if that's a fear that may materialize, that we will have the three big international water companies, Veolia, Bechtel, and Suez Lyonnais, being the ones dominating everything and integrating the market both horizontally and vertically, right? That's an outcome that nobody wants. As you conduct this research and as you gain more knowledge and insight on it, what happens with the research further down the road? What exactly do you use it for? So we normally, the only thing that law professors do is we, or the only thing, the most common thing, I shouldn't say the only, (laughs) um, we publish our research and we hope that, you know, the actors on the ground will read it and other law professors will read it and we will have, you know, some sort of a dialogue. So you will present it in conference and you have this dialogue with other colleagues. Uh, someone builds you in your research to take on a different project. I don't know. Wind rights. Um, but also you expect it to influence legislation at some point, right? Um, in this case, this um, paper that I am talking about, about this expanded version of water markets, has some portfolio of measures that the state wanted to tackle this issue could implement. To give you an example, some states still today regulate surface water and groundwater separately. That makes no scientific sense. So if anyone has a background in science, people know that the, uh, the hydrological cycle, it's all connected, and that unless you have a confined aquifer, it's highly likely that surface water and groundwater will be connected. So if you don't have the same system and you are trading one, you will have effects on the other that you will not be taking into account. So one of the proposals, which I think is the most commonsensical one that nobody should be against, is actually regulate with, you know, under the same umbrella, surface water and groundwater to take into account the interdependencies that they have. Because one thing it's clear in water, um, you will never have a water market, an exchange of water rights that look anything like the market for shoes. Right? If I am using water and you are using water and he's using water and the water is flowing between us, if I decide that he's going to buy or I am going to buy his water, then there will be fewer units of water going down the river. And that implies that you may need extra pumping power to get your water. It may mean that there is less water for the fish. Right? So there are a lot of interdependencies that we need to account whenever we are thinking whether a transaction is okay or not. So I want to back up a little bit. Now, I want to understand kind of how you got to where you are today. So what, what was your like professional career? What was your training to get you to become an associate professor? Long. I have a lot of years of schooling, <laughs> probably more than some other professors. So I am originally from Barcelona. I did an undergrad in law and an undergrad in economics. And there, when I say undergrad in, I don't mean I major in, there is no the possibility. So to give you an, uh, probably something that people will know more, like economics, you do macro one to macro five and micro one to micro five. So it's everything related to that specific area. It's not that I get to take a course in history, one course in geography, and then some courses in economics. So it's much more specific, if you want. When I finished, I decided that I wanted to study abroad at some point in my life. So I got a scholarship to came to the U.S. In between, I lived for six months in Colombia working for an environmental protection agency. It's slightly different. So it was more like an enforcement agency that would look at the implementation of environmental laws at the different levels of government. And it had 
an enforcement side of it, but it also had an enforcement of building the capacity to actually implement those laws in the uh, lower levels of government. And then I came to the U.S. and I had barely practiced, so I had some internships in areas that had nothing to do with environmental law, but I wanted to make sure that I'd rule out other potential areas that I thought were interesting. Smart. And I came to the U.S. and then I did my master's. And when I was doing my master's, I really like the way legal academia is structured in the U.S. So I decided to pursue my PhD here. And I was thinking of topics. And just before I left for the U.S., Barcelona was suffering one of the toughest droughts in history. And we were puzzled because among the things they did is bring water from France by boat. And that water was wow. 15 times more expensive than other potential resources available. Let's put it in so those broad terms. So at that point, even before coming, I wrote this short article about water and somehow it got a place in my brain. And when I decided to apply for a PhD, which in law it's called a JSD, I was thinking of topics and water just popped up and I started to get into that. And I started to do research on water markets and water scarcity and so on. It also was inspired by my time in Colombia, one of the most or the longest projects that I participated in that agency was related to water fees. So how you tax certain activities in order to bring funds to and restore the watersheds. So with all that, I started to do my PhD. I really got into um, water. And the more I knew, the more I wanted to know. So after, when I was about to finish my PhD, what was about water markets and trying to do a comparison between my home country and California, I decided that um, I wanted to, you know, pursue extra avenues of research. So I took a postdoc position at Stanford Law School. I did my JSD at NYU and at the Stanford, it made a lot of sense because I arrived in the middle of the drought and I stayed there for three years. It almost never rained. I actually always explain the story that one day it rained and I used to bike. So I bought a raincoat and that <laughs> raincoat was never used again. Wow. Um, I have actually. Funny enough, I didn't expect, but in Texas has become the most useful piece of clothing that I own. Because <laughs> it seems to race this this year. I don't know what's <laughs> going on exactly. Um, so that's how I got into water. And you know, I think uh, my research can be, you know, like just if you want a scarcity of resources and how we allocate them, with this particular emphasis about water. But I just think that water is particularly challenging because of our different social perspective. And as you were saying, that almost everyone has a stake in water. And it's very difficult to disentangle who should have the better stake, if you want. Cool. And now, obviously, we've spoken a lot about water. Is that what you're here at EarthX to kind of speak on? Yes. So this year, there is a part of EarthX that it's called EarthX Law. And this year, the focus is water. I believe the title is Water, Water, Water Everywhere. I would actually <laughs> say Water, Water, Water Nowhere. But, um, but it's true that flooding is also a big issue. And I assume the recent events in Houston and reminded us, or not so recent, but uh, reminded us of that. Yeah. yeah. 
So tomorrow you can have panels from 8.30 to 5 p.m. on water. Um, mine is Texas Water Issues. There is another one about coastal problems. Then there is another about things that we don't see, um, about what is what can you find in your water and problems that cities are facing. Very cool. And kind of just to end off on this note, do you have a recommendation for anyone who's looking to get into this type of environmental law and research and law? So, I mean, even if you want to practice, um, I am sure everybody knows, but just for the sake of it, getting into law school implies that you before have to do a college degree. A lot of people would say, and I think it's partially true, that a college degree on STEM, you know, may position yourself well to be able to do something related to environmental law. Because while you may not be a scientist, you will be a lawyer, you will be able to consume the research scientists do that have an impact on how you interpret law, or what are the effects of the law. So I could say that having a background in STEM would be my first advice. But in any event, I would strongly recommend whoever wants to be, whether it's uh, someone who is majoring in political science, sociology, architecture, I don't care, that what they should do is really gain experience on the ground, even before coming to law school, because that will make his experience in, or her experience in law school richer, and he will really or she will really know what they are really passionate about and what are the problems that otherwise you read a case and it's great and you see the facts and you think, well, someone wanted to fill wetlands in order to build an apartment building, but you don't realize exactly what is the service that the wetlands are doing. So to anyone coming to law school, my advice is it's okay to take a couple of years to do something else that is somewhat related to the environment and then Come with all that baggage and all that knowledge to a law school. And, you know, during the years of law school, I always recommend my students to concentrate on environmental matters, but also to every semester take a course that it's a little bit out of their focus because you can learn a lot from other areas of law. I was mentioning parking and water, right? So you could take a course on election law that seems to have zero to do with water. But it turns out that you start thinking how some of the irrigation districts elect their boards. And it's true, it's very different than electing the president of the United States. But some of the principles about whether is it okay to have one person, one vote? Should we find a proportional representation? Is different how we feel about the election of the president versus the election of the irrigation board. Um, some things that, you know, other if you don't take that class, you may not uh, make the analogy. And after that, just try to get as many perspectives in environmental law as you can while you are educating yourself. What I mean by that, students every summer and even sometimes during the year do internships or externships. Even if you know that what you want to do is to be the next lawyer for Earth Justice, which is an NGO that focuses on legal uh, environmental work, or work for the Sierra Club, or work for the Nature Conservancy. I would actually recommend you to take an internship in an agency, whether you agree with the policies at that time or not, but you need to understand the workings of the agency and how certain technocrats and technical um, officials operate, then I would also recommend you to go what we call big law. So one of these big law firms that they may do certain 
uh, environmental work. Again, it may not be the most comfortable position, but it will be certainly something that you will learn a lot from. So just try to, you know, be as broad as possible on how you embrace environmental law. And going back to my previous um, experience that I was mentioning before on how I got to where I am, rule out what you don't like. You may think, oh, I am not, you know, I don't want to do big law because that will imply long schedules and um, people that are incredibly unhappy, which is the topic. But it's not the reality everywhere. There are some departments in big law firms that are excellent places to work with, a great work environment. And you may find that actually these larger cases are what are really interesting for you. Um, so I guess that that's what I would tell, you know, someone who will call me and ask me, I want to do environmental law, now what? Yeah. And we do get sometimes these inquiries from either high schoolers or freshmen in college. Yeah. yeah. Basically what I'm hearing is have a really solid understanding of the science going into uh, environmental issues, uh, be really well-rounded. You know, you never know what's going to be helpful to you. So be open to all possibilities and rule out the possibilities that you think you know you don't want to do. It's worth it to try something and go, ugh, I hated that. I'm never going to do that again. Then to say, this is the one thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yes, that's an excellent way to put it, actually. Well, thank you so much for taking the time after your drive to sit down with us here. I hope you have a great time here at the EarthX conference. We really, really appreciate you sitting on the show with us today. Thank you so much. I love the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.